welcome to this episode of Getting to Better Together, our podcast mini-series sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership, SIDSL as we call ourselves, of the University of the Sunshine Coast. And the series is supported by Noosa FM Radio 101.3. Before proceeding, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And so it's really an interesting notion where one might say it's entrepreneurship with a social conscience. And the social conscience these days, of course, has to do with notions of sustainability. It's as much to do with caring about the planet as it is with people, and most particularly really concerned with issues to do with future generations. What sort of world are our our children, our grandchildren going to inherit. And this is much to do with the way we think about the world in terms of entrepreneurship and others and sustainability as anything else. And so this morning, it's a great delight for me to welcome Robert Sinnerton, who is a perfect example to me of a social entrepreneur who didn't necessarily start that way, but now is. And I'd love to start out our conversation, Robert, by asking you precisely what it is you're doing currently within what you would regard as social entrepreneurship in a context of sustainability. Thanks for that, Richard. I I like to think that what you just said, I'm a perfect example of someone stumbling (laughs) into finding his way with social entrepreneurship. And finding his son's social conscience. Um, while you pursue careers in the middle of your life and the opportunities to build and develop your family and all of the things that come with that, I recently joined a company called Allied Pickfords. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my good friend David Richardson who talks with the same accent that I do <laughs> and he invited me to join his business. We're a company that relocates businesses around Brisbane and with that comes a lot of waste, a lot of office waste, and a lack of opportunity to maximize the places we could send those pieces of furniture so they, other people can benefit from them. Okay. The key thing that, that drives the inability to do that is logistics and timing. Right. Often we get a last minute phone call or we win a tender and we have to dispose of the product. Okay. In joining the business, Dave made me, <laughs> invited me, but made me drive as an offsider with the crews to okay. understand how they work, right. how hard they work, and some of the reasons they do what they do. In taking part in those decanting of buildings and offices, uh, I find myself disposing of product to landfill that I thought was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Some of it was better than I had in my own house. Wow. Some of it was even better than what we had in our offices. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opportunity to, to do something with it was difficult. Um, I explored with Dave how he dealt with that both emotionally and physically and opportunistically. And over his years in the industry 20 odd years uh, having seen many pieces of furniture come and go mm-hmm. and trying to deal with the fact there's nothing he can do 
based on the commercial need to dispose of it. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a small enterprise. We're not a large corporate that can fund large storage for no reasons. So often it just had to go from the office to landfill. Wow. Disappointingly, but realistically that had to happen. On doing that and having the conversation with Dave, he had already delivered some items occasionally to schools that he knew. Mm -hmm. Springwood being one. Now my role as business development manager for Dave and, and my my historical desire to innovate, create and be entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial, a new buzzword, um, always drove me to create opportunities for business. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a lot of the, the waste being an opportunity to give to schools as much through Dave's initial spot opportunities. Mm -hmm. I tried to develop a structure around that. I initially spoke to schools um, at length, but they weren't that open to the discussion. It's very hard to introduce yourself to someone that doesn't know you and they think mm -hmm. you of you just sure. as another salesman, business development person, perhaps taking advantage of the school rather than uh, really having value to add. I lived in a block of units and a neighbor was a lady called Lee Callum. And Lee was just retiring from her career in government. And she had previously been a principal in a number of schools. Her position in government was quite elevated. So she had been well connected at that level, but in particularly the principals. So I was invited to decant a lawyer's office in town as they were um, shrinking from two floors into one. And some of the product was really quite extravagant that we would have to dispose of and they were exploring opportunities to sell it, to find some of the take it away and sell it. I looked at the list and um, thought, maybe my friend Lee can find a school that would take this at no cost, as the lawyer's company lawyer was prepared to pay to deliver it to a school. Because they've had to have paid to dispose of it anyway, right? They would have had to have paid to dispose of it anyway. Mm. And that, that always, always wasn't easy, Richard, on the basis that some people see charity as an opportunity to um, not have to pay for stuff, right. not to have to pay for that. Yeah, right. We'll give it to you free, yeah. and and that's good enough. Now we don't have to pay for that, and, right. and we all have to be commercial and look to save money as a business where we can. Yeah. So I wouldn't judge. It's just not necessarily how I was seen two years ago. So Lee came back to me after a week or so, seeing the list that I'd thrown under her garage door, and phoned me and said, "Yep, yeah, look, I know Marshalls." Road State School, the business manager, Pip, is probably going to give you a call. So Pip called me out of the blue and said, we'll take it. So there's a lot of trust involved in, she hadn't necessarily seen the list of the quality, but she saw the opportunity and understood the potential. So what, what would a school see in office furniture? I think you've got to understand the needs of some schools mm -hmm. and the needs of some schools um, are quite dramatic mm -hmm. uh, and I've had the opportunity to see a couple of those schools okay. one school quite as an example would be Clontarf State School mm -hmm. now over the last two years I would have delivered 15 small Pantex of product oh. to Clontarf State School and Joe House the principal 
has been extremely supportive um, in many ways. When even when she couldn't use the product herself, she distributed it to her cluster support group of oh, schools. Okay. Right. Now, in comparing what we send to schools, V Watts in an office, office chairs are an obvious one. And because the chairs they have in schools, a lot of them are older, are they just student chairs they sit right. on? They're not comfortable right. office chairs. Right. A lot of the desks are dated. Um, there's duplicity in um, our duplicate product with desks that are modern desks. School don't, schools don't have those. Um, there's desks, uh, corner desks that maintenance managers don't even have a desk. So all of the product that comes out of an office can be used to some degree mm. in varying schools depending on their needs mm. some schools are better off than others and they get tambours and storage units sliding cupboards metal cupboards right. all of the storage requirements mm. probably are a great need mm. within the schools mm. um, so after those first couple of deliveries really helped me get in touch with several other principals mm -hmm. and the need was significant mm. uh, extremely significant and the principals and staff alike got involved and helped find their needs and advised me of what they would like mm. if they had a choice mm. so when I was decanting or not just me could be Dave or another member of staff even the crew became very knowledgeable mm. about what schools may need right. and they can make judgment calls about making sure they don't trundle off to the landfill Right. Uh, dump uh, they would bring it back to our branch and say I've got something for the schools I think they'd, they'd like it or they may need it so we would collect stuff in a limited way because mm -hmm. of, I think the thing about social enterprise to keep everybody involved in the community of support it has to be commercial mm -hmm. in some, some Mm. ways mm. and we are so if they're not paying for the disposal where, where's the commercial aspect the commercial aspect is uh, very simply for us it's logistics okay it's getting it from a to b we employ a number of staff and drivers and offsiders that ultimately if you give too much time away free we no longer make make a commercial return no. and so you can only give so many as we call them love jobs away mm. And West, until it starts to detract from our ability to service clients that pay the wages, pay the bills, and we have casual staff. So having casual staff means that they rely on us to try and give them a, you know, a, a living, mm. a weekly living, and mm. often that they live from hand to mouth. Mm. So Dave and ourselves take that very serious. And just as a business, it's natural that you can't afford to, to be a charity. Right. Uh, you can afford to be charitable. So ultimately, social enterprise, in my opinion, needs to mean that everybody wins you right. everybody needs to win and there is going to be commercial requirements right. you're going to have storage you just can't and somebody has to pay money for a lease right. so and someone has to pay for the trucks to be in the road and, and then, then there's the dump fees and then comes a sustainability challenge mm. of mm. items going into dump create a sustainability issue um, and when you dump something take it out of circulation somebody has to make another one to replace it yeah. So if you extend the life of the asset and you avoid the dump, and even if the lesser well-off gets something, 
that's better than what they had mm. and the wealthier within the community buy new you're you're producing less within the supply chain which means your co2 yeah. emissions are reduced dramatically yeah. so while the social enterprise plays a significant part in creating a circular economy the byproduct of that is you get a very sustainable community mm. uh, i'm hoping i'm answering your question mm. um i'm just trying to picture the notion of I mean, the traditional idea of a removalist is to move stuff from point A to point B, where point A is just simply moving to point B. But in your case, it's actually disposalist as well as removalist, right? And you have issues to do with storage and logistics and, uh, and also then, as you're saying, someone has to pay. Uh, and if your business was simply um, a, uh, a disposalist, it's hard to see how one would make an income well as a disposalist we like to think we're not just a disposalist we right. do move product from A to B right. that is our primary function right. secondary function if no one needs the product that we're removing from an office uh, it's reached as ideally it's reached its end of life as mm -hmm. that of an asset right. then it needs to be disposed of right that's a, that's a byproduct of what we do. No, it's not our core business, right. but in reality, we're we're decanting offices of old product as they're buying new, mm. or they're moving into a new fit out and they're leaving the old fit out behind. Mm. So that creates different challenges. So disposing of product is a byproduct of mm. our core business, which is logistics, moving stuff from A to B. Mm. Mm. Keeping it cost effective to create a social enterprise is the challenge, mm. because we can't create a warehouse of free storage no we can't move stuff every day for free no. to a school mm. um, so we have to find a way of making sure that the donator identifies the value that they're going to be paying for this anyway mm. their social conscience should lead them to believe not only is it good that they find an alternative outlet that's good for a school that's good for the environment and good for the students and teachers alike I actually feel I'd like to see them now attach a value to that as well, sure. not just pay to go to get right. it there, which right. they would be paying anyway. That if we could create a warehouse where there was a you know a subsequent income, our supported income that allowed us to store items and send them when the school is ready to receive, that's an evolutionary challenge. Mm -hmm. It's actually a challenge of where we're at at this point, Richard. Right. Uh, I have meetings with Desbit, Department of Education, I think sustainability and training, uh, and TAFE Queensland, and they have provided me with an available space, mm -hmm. which I call a cross-docking facility, mm -hmm. right. staging facility. I can't call it a warehouse facility because then it turns into some long-term thinking. Right. So it's keeping the mindset yeah. focused on this is short-term redistribution. Mm. It means that we can collect more product that otherwise, if we don't have space to hold it and the school hasn't got, you know, can't make a decision in 24 hours to take it, I've got somewhere else to put it other than saying they can't take it. It's a great product. I can't find a home in two days. It's going to have to go where we don't like to talk about, mm. which is landfill. Mm. There's no reason why we can't talk about it. That's just a, uh, an emotional response for me to avoid talking about dumping stuff, particularly unnecessarily if I had a home. I mean, presumably, you started out with some sense in this business. Started out with some sense of social conscience, consciousness, uh, and a conscience, 
has that changed in the in the period you've been involved in this particular business i think this business has given me the opportunity to grow mm-hmm. as someone with a social conscience or for my social conscience to evolve mm-hmm. perhaps become what it may always have been yeah or that that latent young lad collecting newspapers to build a tennis club back in the village where I grew up mm-hmm. or the young lad collecting crockery from the neighbors to put on you know stands at a fate in the lake field right. for charge people 5p to throw cricket balls at, right. at crockery to break it right. I think that might be a Greek a, a Greek invention um, but but I think in recent times seeing the opportunity and also knowing that through my journey in Australia and Brisbane um, through the highs and lows of bringing a family up, you know, with only four of us here, mm. my wife, my, my, my son and my daughter, and knowing that there's been a community that's supported us, you know, and there's highs and lows in your career, as you know, Richard. Um, you may not know personally, but for me, I've had my highs and my lows, and, and I find a community in Brisbane, in Queensland, that has um, reached back and ha- helped me and my family in different ways. Mm. Um, and I appreciate that. Mm. So with joining David and Allied Pickfords and seeing this opportunity perhaps to reach back and help not necessarily those that have helped me, but help different people in a way that I could, um, that's that's become really gratifying. Mm. And, and I can tell you that when I went to Clontarf on several occasions, because I'm not always there when we do deliveries, uh, the business manager um on occasion was close to tears mm. um and i do remember her statement the old girl is starting to look like a school again <laughs> which i thought was wonderful yeah. and I'll, it will yeah. stick with me and it, yeah. and it's those comments and those moments in time where you realize that you're genuinely making a difference to mm. someone's mm. life and, and and young people you know it's probably more gratifying for me anyway saying it's more the circumstances, perhaps, right. Richard, where I am able to say, in these circumstances, at this point in time, with the opportunity I've been given, there's approximately across the schools that I've worked with 3,000 students. Wow. That would be several hundred teachers, possibly, that have all benefited to a greater or lesser mm-hmm. extent mm-hmm. from the furniture that we've repurposed from various departments. Mm. UQ, for example, has been a great donator in recent times as, as they've jumped on board and identified themselves. Well, they do identify as being one of the best universities in Australia from a sustainability and environmental progressive point of view. The circular economy and social enterprise that in a very small way, they're like all universities, they're big machines and big communities. But I think they're now feeling themselves that what they've been able to achieve through furniture that's dated that's sitting in various parts of the university waiting for another home within the university Mm, mm. it is best repurposed into somewhere of greater need Mm. so i find i find great gratification from an entrepreneurship perspective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from feeling that i've been able to pull these pieces together in a greater sense within the journey of two years that someone like the University of Queensland has now participated mm. quite dramatically in mm. recent times. Mm. And one of the, one of the um, charities 
are not-for-profit foundations. Is a, it was brought to me by Lee, um, um, Callum, my cohort in the, in the foundation of trying to find homes and help, people's, imp- help people improve their lives, um, was busy schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, busy schools is an interesting um, system I hadn't heard of or an interesting education program I hadn't understood or heard of, but it's not for profit. Um, it's for year 10, 11, 12s that mm-hmm. have lost their way mm-hmm. in the education system. Mm-hmm. So these kids are struggling. They need a bit of extra TLC. They need a little bit of extra support within getting them back into the community, giving them the skills and education, whatever level that might be at, so they can have careers and jobs as nurses or tradesmen, cabinet makers, or whatever it might be. They, they UQ in particular, has given they opened sorry let me go back busy schools were opening a new campus in the cbd mm-hmm. 410 Ann street and at the time i communicated with them i was just starting to start a couple of larger decanting um buildings and and uh, lecture rooms in in uq and what i found was that uq went the extra mile the volume of product that we that they donated through through myself to to busy schools probably fitted out that campus by wow. about sixty to seventy percent, and the quality mm. was better than they could afford it to buy with their wow. not for profit. Mm. And then going back to your early statement, what what do I get out of this? Well, when I went in to take pictures to send to UQ and say, look how great this looks, I mm. look what you've done. Mm. Um, all the principals were sitting and they come from Cairns and Gold Coast and Shaler Park, wherever they had their campuses, about half a dozen. They were sitting on office chairs that had been um, repurposed from a renovation at UQ that they would have otherwise been sitting on plastic chairs. Mm-hmm. And these chairs were better than they would ever have got. Students are sitting on better chairs mm-hmm. than they would ever have got. Mm-hmm. There was lecture desks that were maybe 10 or 15 years old in great condition mm-hmm. that looked brilliant as they set out through the busy school structure. So I think, you know, in, in the whole of education vision, mm-hmm. which is rather grand, the wealthier uh, end of the community is really starting to help out the not so mm, I was going to well ask you about that. Do, have you seen, even though you've been sort of a relatively short time in this part, anyway, of this part of the business, uh, have you seen a sort of increase in people sort of saying, well, I don't really want to throw that out. Is there something else I can do? I mean, I know that as an individual, uh, when I think about things as we progress through with children and grandchildren, let's say, you know, things like bicycles and, and all those sorts of things saying well I, you know, I don't really want to throw that away is there an increase in that do you think I I can speak from the visibility that I've had within the yeah. the community that I've worked with and mostly right. that's education and health right. and and there's a lot of well intended actions mm-hmm. that people don't want to throw stuff out right. so they end up collecting yeah um, they don't have an outlet no. they don't understand how to get it from there to a better environment so they sit and they wait and they think one day i'll use that mm. like we all would do with mm. you know if we move house with the smaller house we sit sure. in the stuff that we can't throw away because one day i might give it to someone yeah. or i might use it um the reality is often we end up throwing it out six years later anyway because yeah. we haven't found that outlet even though 
in today's environment there's Gumtree, Facebook, there's a lot of commercial mm. you know ad hoc ways of moving stuff on. Mm. In the bigger end of town where there's larger amounts of product, I has I have seen people holding on to stuff, but they don't know how to get it from there to somewhere no. that is a greater need. Right. Part of the journey in the education process is encouraging those bodies, those individuals, and those corporate entities to say, don't hold on to it. You may probably need it in a year's time, mm. but you're taking up space, mm. and someone else might need that today. Mm. If you if you join the community on circular community of moving items around to those that have a greater need immediately, then there's a good chance you're going to fill that pipeline again of something mm. equal mm. or better when you actually need it. So mm. so I think the the education component is for those that hold on to it, let it go <laughs> because there is there is other opportunities out there, mm. and the schools are in great need, mm. health is in great need. I have a wonderful story, I think, if you don't mind me sharing it, with QE2 Hospital. Mm -hmm. And I've had the permission from Lorraine, who's the Acting Corporate Services Director at the minute, Lorraine Munns. And when UQ was getting rid of, I think, about 10 or 12 desks, and I hadn't an immediate home in schools, and there weren't obvious desks that schools could use. They were a little bit more office-structured. I actually give Lorraine a call, and Lorraine says, yes, I can have those. We're, we're going to open a nurse navigation center, and they're perfect. Mm. So Lorraine took them. TAFE had given Lorraine about 150 office chairs, task chairs, and I didn't know whether she could absorb them into the hospital, but 100 of them were equal or better than what she had, mm. such as the leukemia ward had 50 chairs replaced with better that came out of TAFE Queensland, who's a great supporter as well. So that's a good example of TAFE saying, I bought a 150 new chairs, I've got 150 left over. Can you do anything with them, Robert? Mm. And in fact, TAFE paid for them to get to the hospital, um, which was great because it doesn't always happen. But they would mm. have had to put them in a skip and cost mm. of skip and cost mm. of logistics. People don't often equate the cost of disposal is more than sometimes just repurposing it to someone in greater need. So Lorraine's been a great supporter and QE2 has benefited from moving stuff into the hospital. Mm. And of course, UQ has been a supporter there. But a great little story is Lorraine's niece um, became the captain of Tin Can Bay State High School, I think. And she asked me, have you got any lockers? Because she's made a pledge as the new captain to get lockers for the girls so they could have secure lockers when going to school. They didn't have any lockers. And I said, leave it with me. And just coincidentally, I found a small set of old tin lockers, not great. Most of them had keys um, that were being disposed of by UQ. And, uh, and the, the opportunity there was that I asked UQ, could I give them to Lorraine to send to Tin Can Bay or we can deliver them for? And we did. And Lorraine was chuffed. The young girl got to give the school girls lockers that they'd never, ever had. And they were only old tin lockers. They would have ended up in landfill. 
That's win-win. What a wonderful, lovely little story to end the whole notion of, of social entrepreneurship, of concern for society, uh, using commercial principles. And it's been a delight talking to you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very much, Richard. I hope, I hope um, if, if this doesn't end up on the cutting room floor, it's an <laughs> there's an opportunity for others to, to help in their way. It doesn't have to be me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening, and I look forward to the next episode when we meet again. Until then, good night.